0: Welcome to Honest Money, your best guide to financial freedom. I'm Warren Ingram, the author of a few best-selling books, and I'm also an award-winning financial planner, and I've helped thousands of people on their journey to financial freedom. I'm not here to tell you what to do, but I am here to share my experience and the best ideas that I've learned, and I hope these ideas help you on your journey to financial freedom. Welcome to Honest Money. I'm joined uh, by, by one of my regular and favorite guests, Grant Locke, Head of uh, ArtVest. Grant, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks. It's
1: great to be here and it's great to be back as well. And I really enjoy chatting to you, Warren.
0: So, so Grant, uh, I think we, we've got some themes that we, we like to talk about. And, and, you know, and always, when we're having these conversations, it's about trying to arm people with enough information to make informed decisions. Uh, and, and so today is a little bit of a tricky one because we're we're, we're going to be talking a little bit about um, about financial planners and uh, and whether they add any value. And so just uh, you know just for a little bit of context to that before I, before I fire my first uh, question at you, Grant is uh, obviously well not obviously but just for clarity, I've always been a financial planner. That's the only job I've ever done. So my. my podcast uh, gig is a side hustle to, to what I do for a living, which is I, I spend my time advising people on, on how to look after their, their investments. And so I guess it's, it's always a tricky one when someone does this for a living to bring it up as a question about whether financial planners actually add value. Uh, and, and so I thought it's a nice one to discuss with you because you're not a financial planner and uh, and you're not there to sell Um, my services or any other financial planner services Uh, and so to get a fairly objective view from someone who knows the industry very well and and especially around the studies around this I thought it was it was great to 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 kick off with that question so very simply uh, is there a way for us to measure um, some kind of objective way um, if financial planners actually can add value to to investors for the fees that they charge?
1: Thanks, Warren, and, and I appreciate this. And I, I think, you know, if I just, just to take a step to the side, you know, my nature in sort of the things that I like to and find interesting in the world of finance is really around understanding and quantifying and the real detail about how the industry's made up its actors and how they all work together. And that's kind of been the way that my career has planned out across various elements of the industry. And so when I looked at a question like this, I sort of went into some of the research that has been done by some of the providers. Now, there's two studies that have been done. One by Vanguard, and Vanguard, for those of you that don't know, is probably one of the largest asset managers in the world. And it's also, and interestingly, it's a mutual company. And maybe at some point, we can get into details about why that's so interesting. And secondly, there was research done by Morningstar. Now, both of these organizations approached it from different ways. But effectively, there was a commonality in the way that they sought to feel where advisors added value. And it's not where people think. So where they felt that advisors added value was in the behavioral coaching, helping investors review decisions, keep their asset, get their asset allocation right, making sure that they have got other plans in place, knowing when to withdraw, how to withdraw Um, stopping them from making sort of performance-based investment decisions at a very high level. These are some of the factors that were taken into account by these studies. But I think it's, it's sort of very important to note that, you know, whilst they were doing this, it's not that we've got this massive data set of information that's all high quality that we can all turn around and say, actually, you know what, advisors are consistently adding this. There are some discrepancies in the data. So, for example, if I were to go to Morningstar's study, they called the the sort of the the value that an advisor adds, they got a name for it, and that name is called gamma. And in the investment industry, we've got terms like alpha and we've got terms like beta, and we'll go into those in another another sort of podcast. But they called it gamma, and typically they said that an advisor would add around, a good advisor would add around 1.6% per annum. In terms of value to a client, this is not in terms of stock picking or necessarily pure around fund selection, but it is more around helping the advisor make good quality decisions that include more than just their investment allocations as well. And it's a similar thing with the Vanguard study. Now, Vanguard have actually developed a sort of a piece which they call um, Vanguard Advisor Alpha, which came out in 2001. And what they did there was they also sort of narrowed it down to a couple of key points that they, f- they thought that when added together could add something in the region of 3% per annum in net returns to an advisor, to a, to a client's portfolio. So these are things like suitable asset allocation using broadly diversified ETFs, cost effective implementation. So of course, cost is very important. Things like rebalancing your portfolio every now and again, not allowing it to drift. Behavioral coaching was a very important one for Vanguard. They said that alone, behavioral coaching added about 1015 1.5% per annum to a client portfolio and other things like spending and other types of um, strategies. So, you know, from these two massive houses, the research suggests that this isn't that an advisor indeed actually adds quite a bit of value to a client. But I think that there's, there's some caveats here. And the caveats are that Um, you know, I think what I read from the the Morningstar was that it depends on the advisor. So it's not the case that it's true across the entire industry. There is an element of understanding who you're working with. And in, in the Morningstar study, they pulled out sort of financial planners versus transactional advisors. You know, you go to someone... You ask for help on a particular transaction, they give you that help, and you know that, that's around centered around where the fee was centered around a transaction. They felt more so or the, 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 and it's not causality, but the, there was more of a suggestion that value more value could be added by having a financial planner help you across not just your investments but broader than that, and that was how one of the ways in which value added. But again, we just don't have all the data to be absolutely clear on this. But I think the studies themselves, I feel, in my personal opinion, are valid in terms of the value a financial advisor can add. And I think it's one of those things that I think will be proved over time. That's my opinion.
0: So so I think, you know, just, just to jump in with a couple of uh, clarification points and in my own sense of this is, uh, you know, you, you mentioned Vanguard is a mutual company. And I think just a little bit of history for people. Uh, you know, Vanguard was started by by the godfather of of index investing, uh, John uh, John Bogle, um, and and definitely one of the big thinkers and one of the deep thinkers about investing and 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 how it should be done as opposed to how how the industry was working when when he started. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the 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 person that's come, kind of created that business uh, and really took it to prominence is is a critical thinker. And, and I put him on the on the same kind of level as Warren Buffett as one of the most influential people of of last um, kind of the last hundred years in the investment world, and and then secondly, the point around a mutual business is that they they are not there uh, to to kind of uh, make the maximum profits for CEOs. You know, a mutual company is quite a different thing. It's quite a different animal to to a lot of other businesses where. That they're, especially the, when, when he was doing it in the index world, they, they were basically charging enough money to cover their costs, really, uh, as opposed to maximizing profits for, for outsider, outsider shareholders. They, they were there to make some money, but but it wasn't at the cost of of, of the products uh, or, or the investors in their products. And I think that that's really the, the kind of subtle point of, of a mutual business versus uh Kind of a hedge fund company that's charging two percent a year and twenty percent of profits, where you know they're just trying to make as much money for the owner of the hedge fund and not the investor in the hedge fund. And, and I think that maybe to expand on your on your point there, and 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 then maybe just a little bit about Morningstar. It, it it's an enormous research company. It does it does have an involvement in money management as well. But but their, their history, their background is is really high quality research. In various aspects of of, of the whole um, investment kind of food chain, so so you know two two highly respected businesses that that haven't really compromised uh, or, or are not compromised in what they do, and then just my own experience of this is when, when someone says you know a g- good financial plan, and you you were talking about it now with with someone that helps, let's say with with specific transactions or. You know the implementation of something versus someone who who kind of plays an ongoing guiding role over time, and I think the two analogies there are. It's it's a bit like when you want to build a house, you know, and you've got a flat piece of land. You've just got nothing. It's a it's just a piece of land. You can go um, and and buy you know a, a kind of a, a plan off uh, you know almost off the internet and just you know put a housing plan on on your plot and you build according to that. But if you want a specific House built to your specific requirements, built for the conditions of the land that you're in, and the sun, and all those things. Then it probably pays you uh, to go and get yourself a good architect who actually builds the house uh, or designs the right house for you. And and I think in one aspect that's where a good advisor can add value. They're like a good architect. They might not, you know, um, make the bricks and lay the concrete or whatever, but they can they can develop the, the, the perfect uh, plan for you. But but secondly. On the ongoing basis, it's a bit like having a high quality coach in sports. You know, it's always funny to me that w- w- when we look at someone like uh, uh, Roger Federer in tennis or a Tiger Woods in golf, the, b- both of those men uh, know pretty much everything there is to know about their sport. There isn't something that an outside coach can actually teach them about the sport in general. There's no one that can tell them more about uh, how to hit a ball uh, or how to serve or whatever the deal is. But what the coach can do, is help them with their mindset at a moment in time, and it, and, it, and that's really what happens uh, w- w- with a good financial planner. You you were talking about behavioral coaching, so uh, you know that, that that's a bit like saying to someone, uh, you, you know, you need to uh, you, you need to not make emotional decisions w- w- when the markets are falling apart, or w- when when they when markets are too exuberant. You mustn't get caught up in the hype. It's fine to tell someone that, but actually, when the markets are falling apart. Uh, they need someone that they trust to kind of be their center point to say, hang on, this is the time where I need to remind you of your basics, your principles, what are the principles of investing? What are the principles of good financial planning? And let's stick to the plan that we've already created. And and so then it's not about rocket science or about, you know, a a complicated spreadsheet or analysis. It's about having your coach that helps you remember what's important and helps you focus on the right things. And if it was, you know, back to the sporting analogy, reminding you of your expertise and then letting you stick to the plan that you've you've set up. And I think that that's the, over my kind of two and a half decades of doing this job, that's what I've realized is great coaches are are, are the ones that have the ability to communicate with clients in a way that clients understand, the way investors understand, and and with the level of trust that they can actually get through the, the irrational times, whether those are when everyone's too excited about the world or when they're too depressed. And, and helping, the, helping you make the right decision in the right moment to me is where most of the, the value gets added in a, in a good investor and advisor relationship.
1: Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I think I think just to come in there, I sort of I was looking at the that sort of because they I mean, this Morningstar research was published first in 2013, and they've actually done an update now in 2019 and looked at this. And I think, you know, the the findings have come, you know, the, the findings that they sort of talk about in terms of that research was that using a financial planner as an information source consistently led households to above average financially sound scores. You know, and and I think that you know that that is quite a it's quite a strong conclusion. Yeah, I think we have to be careful in that, and even the the authors noted themselves that, you know, they can't entirely explain, you know, those through financial planners alone. But I think that the, I think that the value is there, and in my personal opinion, I do think that you know having a good quality financial planner in terms of your life, in terms of helping you. Think about the broader aspects. I think the, the problem with our industry, and this is a, a very personal view, is that we tend to think of the value add in terms of investment performance alone. And really, that's not the case. In terms of the value that a financial planner adds, it really is so broad across all aspects of your life, including insurance, even things like emergency funds, how to spend, where to spend budgets. All of those aspects added together are really that, that build up in value of a, of a household over time and their wealth
0: and so i think to to conclude this point uh, you, you know you you were saying it does depend on the advisor and whether they you know the the, the quality of the advisor is critical to whether the the, the advisor adds value and that that's the art as opposed to the science of the world of money it's it's just like any coach you know any sporting coach you, you can say that uh, you know having a coach is good for you well that's not true you know having a good coach that you gel with is good for you, but having a bad coach or a coach that you don't connect with is not gonna help you at all. And I I think that that's that's my my kind of analogy around around financial planning is um, it it is really critical to have the the person with the right intent, the right skills, and then most importantly, someone that can communicate with you and and you can develop a level of trust with that you're on the right path. And, And then it is a valuable relationship. So I want to jump to the next point, which which is something you and I both feel strongly about, and that's that's around fair fees, the the way that the way that the whole industry charges. So so that the ultimate investor, which is really what this whole thing is about, is how do investors pay the right fees, the fair fees to get the right value. So so none of us, neither of us, neither you nor I believe that investors. Should get this for free, you know. Whether it be actual investments or advice or anything, there is a fair fee to be paid. The issue is understanding what a fair fee is, and and secondly, how how do these fees get made up? So, so for a little bit of background, if we go back to the world of investments for for almost the last hundred years, the way that someone would charge to manage money or to give advice on on money is they would say. If you've got 100,000 Rand to invest or you've got a million Rand to invest, I'm going to charge you 1% a year on the value of those investments and and that's how I'm going to get paid. And so if an investor, if that investor's money goes from 100,000 to a million to 10 million to, to 100 million, the, the, the advisor or the asset manager or both together are just getting increasingly large uh, amounts of money, not necessarily for doing increasingly large amounts of work. There might be some more work but but the point is that that uh, that fee becomes kind of like a widening furrow in a field you know the, the the fee just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it eats more and more of the growth and and, and so that's been the, the the critical and i think uh, important criticism of the, of the industry is that these percentage fees are not always fair to the person who's actually investing the money. And so what are the alternatives? And, and the alternatives, to, just to kind of you know, break break down the jargon a little bit, will be things called fixed fees. So, so that's where you say, I'm going to pay you X rands per month or per year or per hour for for the information or the advice or the or the services that you know if it's investment management for the services you're providing, and, and I think that that's a nice thing to to kind of d- discuss is you know are, are, I mean are these percentage fees always fair grants to 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 investors?
1: So no, and this is that's the very short answer. But I think that you know before we we also just to have some context around why they put in place the way that they are, because there is actually a sort of a fairly sound reason as to why per- percentage fees exist. And the reason is really around administration and keeping things simple. In the investment industry itself, we actually have quite a, a complicated value chain. There are lots of different independent people involved in administering, protecting, <clears throat> um, investing the The sort of our, the money of our clients, and in order to make sure that we can split the revenue up or the revenue sort of um, sort of scales effectively, we need to basically put in some sort of simple rule, and that's how the percentage came about and and listen this i'm not it's not that I'm necessarily the world historian in the world of in this industry, but I think you know that that to me feels like the most rational explanation because you know if if you run an administration business. Okay, someone might bring you a 100 Rand. Okay, you've got, to, you've got to apply the same administration um, techniques to that 100 Rand as you will if someone brings you a million Rand. But of course, having a very complicated fee model makes it incredibly difficult to administer the fees that you take out of that. You can't charge everyone a fixed 500 Rand a month. Otherwise that person with a 100 Rand will end up with nothing. So what we do in our industry is we use that percentage based fee as a way of scaling that fee that we take across the entire value chain, but the problem is, is the, the percentage based fee and I think Warren exactly as you said, it's not always related to the work that's being done. And this is where the issue comes in is, you know, we haven't got to a point yet, in my opinion, where we are clear in the in terms of our industry about the fair reward for the fair work that's being done. And I think that the concept of fixed fees or moving in that direction does introduce that sort of um, fairness around paying someone a work for a job that's been done. But I still think there's a, you know, there's a there's a fair way to go in our industry before we get to a point where we almost operate on a cost plus type arrangement where there's a margin that's been set into every single investment contract and that margin is fair, based on the, the sort of the effort that's involved in looking after that person's money, whether it be the investment manager, whether it be the list platform, whether it be the financial advisor. So I don't have this wonderful answer for you, but I think, you know, that I'm just outlining some of the detail and, and where I think why this came about in the first place.
0: And, and I think it's a key, uh, a key thing here. Is it, it's a bit like, uh, you know, having a heart surgeon operate on your heart. Uh, you don't necessarily want to go and, and negotiate for the cheapest heart heart surgeon you can find, and and have them operating out of the you know the the, the worst surgery with the oldest equipment possible. You know w- w- when it comes to 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 kind of your your critical health points, you, you actually would like to know that the person that's doing the job for you is is someone that's firstly qualified and 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 secondly you know using the best equipment there there is. Um, but but at the at the best fairest price to both parties. And I think that's always for me, you know, when we beat this fee drum, which, which we we have both done for decades, is uh, everybody in this food chain needs to make sure that that, that they're hiring the, the best possible people that are appropriate for the job. And, and at the same time, using the best possible tools, uh, equipment, w- whatever the deal is in the, in the IT world, platforms, et cetera. So, so I think that, you, you know, certainly my, my view is, that, uh you know you, you mentioned scale and, and scale isn't an, a, a funny thing so it costs an enormous amount of money to build a unit trust company or to build an exchange traded fund company it is just an expensive thing and and so at the start the, the you know those costs uh, are an absolute drain on the company that are la- that's launching uh, and and so th- th- there needs to be a way for for um you, you know those costs to be absorbed in the early part and shared both with the investors who are benefiting from the lower costs and the company so that it can recoup the costs that it's made. But once that's done uh, and, and, the, and, and things are being built correctly and, and so more and more clients come and assets get bigger, there needs to be a way where those fees consistently drop for, for everybody. And so, I mean, to your credit, and, it, and and this is not an advertorial, but to your credit, that's what you've done with ArtVest is you've you've trying to find this blend. As you say, there isn't a perfect model in the world. There isn't a, you know, just like there isn't a, a perfect painting yet, the, um, you know, what you're doing is blending the science and the art here of saying we like fair fees. We like the idea of fixed fees. Unfortunately, you know, there needs to be a percentage because some of these fees are charged by the taxman and and they're charged as a percentage no matter what we do. And other, you know, smaller clients, unfortunately, would be overcharged, not because it's unfair, but they would be overcharged because the cost of actually running an account is a bit more more expensive for someone who only has 500 bucks compared to someone who's got a million rand. So so there is a fixed fee kind of component to running a business, um, which needs to be covered. And that's where percentages for smaller investors make sense. And on the other end, for very big investors, they're going to get a massive benefit of a fixed fee. uh, And and, potentially, that's why you end up looking at a percentage again on the other side, because some of this comes back to tax again. So, So I must say... I, I don't think the the media world's really woken up to this this blended fee that you you built where you try to cover these costs primarily as a fixed rand fee that investors just know this is what I'm paying. I don't have to look, I don't have to guess I don't have to decipher it's there I see it on my statements I know exactly what I'm paying and I think that that's powerful uh, and and I, and you're right, the industry hasn't really figured this out you know that uh, I, I think there are if we look at the listed companies that do, you know, especially asset management and, and fund, you know, broader fund management, um, it's no, it's no surprise to me that the, you know, their CEOs and their founders are the ones driving the Aston Martins, living in Camps Bay uh, and, and, you know, jetting around the world as they see fit because, because they are making an enormous amount of money, uh, I think, to the cost, unfortunately, or, or, of the end investor. And so this blended uh, kind of a model where, where where you are charging fair, good fees is is the right way to go.
1: Thanks, Warren, and I, You know, again, this this is a, this is a topic that I can go into for hours. But you know, when I worked in London for many years, there was a saying, and we used to talk, we used to apply the saying to all hedge funds. And there's this fictional story of this this sort of young or this this sort of older man um, who was down at the docks one day, and he was looking around him, and there were all these beautiful ships, and he looked at all these ships around him. And he thought, this is amazing. And he sort of, you know, someone else wandered up to him and he said, oh, "Yeah, those ships are beautiful. And he said, yeah, those are amazing. No, the, those, are, those are all ships of fund managers. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. And the big question was, well, where are all the customers' yachts? And I think that's that's again some criticism of the industry. And I think it is changing. To to be fair, we are starting to move and in terms of making it more fair and making making those fees more commensurate with the value that's added. And I think the key step that needs to happen though, there is a key step that I still think is coming is fees don't just because you pay more in fees does not necessarily guarantee performance. And I think that's the most, if I were to say one of the most the fundamental crux points that we need to get over as an industry is fees. More fees don't necessarily translate into better performance. In fact, in some other studies, and um, I think this is also a Morningstar study, the reverse is true.
0: Yeah, I think that's a you know that is a very good point. You know, if I look at the uh, just the old the old fashioned unit trust industry, you, you know, the 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 some of the best performing um, you know balanced funds and 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 funds that invest only in shares over a 10 or 20 or 30 year period it's it's quite consistent that the funds that generally charge lower fees are generally at the top of the performance rankings so so there is something to that but but having said that uh, that doesn't mean that all the funds that charge low fees are at the top either so so you're right there is a there is a good balance to 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 be struck there and so I think we've probably uh, already blown our time, Grant. So, so I think we're going to have to leave it there. But uh, thank you very much. Uh, I think this has been, for, for me, something that, you know, two critical points that we need to talk about. And it's nice to to bounce these off you. where I don't have to keep saying to the world that I think financial planners are good because I'm a financial planner. So so thank you for that. And uh, and looking forward to chatting, chatting to you again.
1: Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Cheers. Eh?
0: Thank you for listening to Honest Money. If you have any questions, you're welcome to reach out to me on Twitter. My handle is at Warren Ingram. Don't forget to subscribe. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Chat soon.